Well, we are finishing up our little mini-series on prayer we kind of moved into from Hebrews. And we'll be in John chapter 17 to start tonight. Just a review from before, many people pray for others to enable good things of God to increase toward them. More healing, more power, more prosperity, things uh, along that way. I pray for so-and-so to be healed of their, whatever their condition is. Most of these types of prayers take all the responsibility off of the person being prayed for. And that's your good clue that you're praying incorrectly when you take all that responsibility off of them. We looked at the word that Jesus used in John chapter 14, 16 and 17, where he uses the word translated helper in the New King James. Other translations translate it other ways. But it is the word that means to come up alongside to help. To call someone to come up alongside and to help. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us. Correct prayers then would be along this same example. That we come up, we come alongside to help them in their prayers, not to take over for them. And then we rounded it out by saying that Paul prayed for the good things of God to increase in them. And that's how our prayers need to be if we're going to be praying for the people. Now let's take a look at how Jesus prayed for the disciples in John chapter 17, verses 1 through uh, the beginning part here. Jesus is praying for himself, but we'll take a look at those as well. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now we think of some of the things that Jesus could have been praying for. Don't let it hurt so much. Let it be over quick. There's a lot of things he could have been praying for in this, but he doesn't pray for any of those. He prays that he would be glorified so that the Father would be glorified. Everything he prays for himself is something that benefits the kingdom. In verse 6, he picks up, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now Jesus sees the disciples as first off, having belonged to God. First off, they were God's. Second, he sees them as given to him by God. And third, he sees that they are out of the world. That Jesus sees the disciples as having belonged to God, given to him by God, and from out of the world. They were in the world. They're now out of it. He goes on in verse 7. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now Jesus gave to them what he received. He went to the Father God and received things from the Father to bring to the disciples. Then, of course, the disciples who freely received them would go out and freely give them to others. And that was the, that was the purpose, that Jesus would receive things for them, that they would get them. Of course, they would stabilize their life. They would help them in their life. But then after that, 
they would go out and they would give it to others. Verse uh, 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray for the world. There's a lot of Christians need to learn that. Because we're still trying to pray for the world because they're people that we love. They're relatives of ours. It's, a, it's amazing to me. Still, I'll, I'll have people come up to me and they'll say, will you pray for so-and-so to get a job? Well, are they born again? No. <clears throat> well, that could be part of the problem. Would you pray for so-and-so? They have this uh, this thing going on in their life and it's bringing them much turmoil. They have no peace. Well, did I know God? No. Well, <laughs> yeah. You cannot pray for people in the world the same way you pray for people that are in Christ. And though our emotions play with us uh, some on that, and we'd like to because, well, this is, uh, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my nephew, this is my niece, this is uh, whatever relative that we have, and we feel a fondness and an affection for them, and surely God would feel the same thing, and he'd bend the rules a little bit here for, for this one, but uh, that's not something that can be done. I pray for them, speaking to the disciples. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So, we have to keep an eye on, on this in our prayers. It's, this is the prayer of Jesus, and there are many prayers of Jesus, but this is one that made the Word of God. And as it made the Word, there are things that we are to learn from it. And so it's purposely put in here, I do not pray for the world. If Jesus doesn't pray for the world, then we can't either. I put this in your in your outline for you. People are either of the world, in the world, or out of the world. You are either of the world and that you're not born again yet. You are either you could be in the world in that well you're no longer of the world, you're of him. But you're still in the world. Or you could be out of the world. In other words, dead. Now, now, what's your condition here will affect the way that people pray for you. There's also another one I put in there for you. They could also be fallen from grace. They could have uh, gotten born again, followed after God, and then for whatever reason decided to leave it. That's a backslidden person. And there's a different way that you pray for them too. You cannot pray for them the way you would someone who's in the family. But you have to know where they are as this will affect how you pray for them. If they are out of the world, if they're, I'm sorry, if, I think I missed, miswrote that one, but if they are not of this world, if they're out of this world, you can't pray for them anymore. You're done. They're in heaven. <laughs> if they are of the world, then you need to pray for them to get out of the world and to become of Him. And that's where your prayers for them center around. For people to be brought along their path to minister to them for the blindness that is on their eyes to be removed. These are the things that we can pray for people that are in the world. I can't pray for them to get a job. I can't for them to have to pray for them to have peace in a tur- turmoil situation. I may want them to have peace, but we can't pray for that because the, the peace that we would pray for that come from God comes from doing what God says. And that way we, we have His peace. You can pray for them to get healed because Jesus would heal people that were of the world 
But he only did that when he laid hands on them. Sometimes people want to say, well, let's just, just pray for so-and-so that they would get healed. But they don't even know that the power of God came upon them. They just would think that, well, the thing just went in remission or it just went away or whatever it is. When Jesus prayed for the unsaved, he laid hands on them. So we have to follow the examples of, of what we were given. If they are of him, your prayers should, uh, your prayers are about operations in the world. If they are no longer of the world, but they are of him, our prayers for them are how they operate in this world. He goes on in verse 10. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but there, but these are in the world. Jesus is still here. He hasn't, hasn't died on the cross yet. But he's, he's looking ahead to that time. To him, it's, a, it's already done. His time here is, is just about finished. So he's talking about himself as if he's already done. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. See, that unity is important. He wants the world to see the unity of the body of Christ. And it's even talked about in the, in the Word of God that they'll know about our faith in God by our love for each other. Let's go on to see what he, he says here in verse 11. It says, Now I am no longer in the world but these are in the world. This is where we operate. We operate in this world. I'm not of this world, but I'm in this world. We just got to keep that, that mindset. When we see things going crazy in the political side, just keep remembering, I am not of this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. When people start doing crazy things and going in all sorts of funny ways, I am not of this world. They are of this world. That's why they're acting like that. But I'm, I'm just in this world. I think I've told you a few times, but the president of the college I went to, he used to always sign off his radio show, or start his radio show. How in the world are you? <laughs> and that was, that was his thing. Of course, he taught on it before all that, and he, he told people how we're in the world, but not of it. And so he'd always start off the program, how in the world are you? How in this world are you operating? And that was Dr. Cook. I enjoyed his his teaching. In John chapter 17, verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. That word there for kept is an interesting word. It means to watch or guard. To watch or guard from loss or injury by keeping an eye on them. So, now there's... I got this note on there. There's two other words that they could use for this same thing. One is to prevent escaping. That's a type of of a watch or guard. And the other implies a fortress or a full military line of apparatus. Almost like an imprisonment. But he doesn't use any of these words. He says, I keep an eye on you. He said, these ones that you gave me, I kept an eye on them. Now, we've learned a couple of things from Jesus in this passage about how an, uh, an overseer or a pastor or, or someone who's over overlooking, as he did with the disciples, that first off, he, or here in this one, 
He says, I kept an eye on them. I kept a watch on them. He didn't imprison them. He didn't keep them and you all have to stay here. He didn't do that. But he kept an eye on them. And as he began to see some things, he would begin to teach them things that would help them in what it was that they were doing. And this is how we ought to operate. When we have people that are under us, people that God has given us, we're here to, to keep an eye on, to watch over. We said this word to keep, to watch or to guard. So Jesus did this. He was watching and he was guarding, guarding them, keeping an eye on them. This is what, uh, what our role is as a pastor. This is what your role is as a, a mentor or whenever you have people that are, that are over you, or I'm sorry, that are under you. Then you have to be there to, <clears throat> to keep a, to keep an eye on them, to keep watch over them. And as you do that, you're going to begin to see some things that you may need to warn them about. Now, how many of y'all know that sometimes you give people a warning and they don't like it? You know, when you have young, young children growing up and you're there watching them as they're getting in the field and you may, you may say, well, this is, this little danger thing is over here. This little problem thing is over here. Um, or, and sometimes it's not even a danger. It's just that, uh, if they fall into that and get muddy, I don't have a change of clothes for them. So you just want to give them a warning so that they don't do that. And so you give them a warning, you tell them about it, and they, uh, all right, all right, all right. And then they keep on going, doing what they're doing. And sure enough, they end up where it is you warned them about. And now they're complaining because their stuff is all muddy and wet and you don't have any uh, change of clothes for them. And well, I, that's why I warned you. That's why I told you. Now there's a learning process for them that went on, but you didn't keep them imprisoned. You foresaw some things. You taught them, but they didn't listen. And they went in there and they, they fell in and they got messy or uh, maybe they got into some situations that were even dangerous. Whatever it might be. But you kept an eye on them. That's what Jesus is using. A, he's a word, using a word like this to describe how he watched over the disciples. We got to watch over some other ones. Then we can always think back on our kids or other people that were under us and how they didn't listen. But it's real hard for us sometimes to think about ourselves. There were times I didn't listen. There were times God sent me a warning and told me, be careful. Don't get over here. Watch out for this. And I didn't listen. And I fell into it. But he says here, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. I kept them in your name. I watched over them to make sure they stayed within the parameters of what being of the Father means. I made sure that they stayed within that. At one point, he even said they kept, they kept your word. I gave it to them. They kept it. Now, our thoughts of the disciples might not be quite that high. <laughs> I think we might find sometimes they didn't quite keep his word. But that's not how Jesus described it for them. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I didn't lose any of them. And he, uh, sounds like he's taking that almost personal. I made sure I watched over him. And you, you'll, you'll find this, 
I know that just from, from pastoring, you know it from mentoring, you know it from some of the interactions that you had with, with people, that you can see as long as you stay within this framework, as long as you stay within this, this area, uh, things will go well with you. It, it will be good. And sometimes they listen to you and then sometimes they don't. I know some people, they decided that, uh, well, we're gonna, we're gonna move on and I remember one family in particular, they had an appeal for things that were unscriptural. And they, they hung out in the, the church here for a long while. Um, a couple of, I think it was a couple of years that they were, they were here. They got themselves involved and they were doing things. Then there was stability in their life that they didn't have before. Even made comments to us. Oh, but we've just been so much more stable than uh, we had before. And uh, made comments like that to me, made comments like that to my wife. We had these, uh, these things going on. But then all of a sudden, they uh, became aware of a particular ministry that was uh, nearby, and this particular one went in a direction that was very unscriptural, but it appealed to them. And so they came in, and they never asked me about going off or, or leaving. They just said, um, well, we're going to head on over here for this. This is the kind of thing we like to have in church, and you don't have that going on here, and, and we kind of like that over there. And so they did, and it wasn't it wasn't long. It was a year or two, I think. The entire family disintegrated. I mean completely disintegrated. It fell apart. The kids went off and followed other things, weren't following God anymore. The parents uh, went off and, and uh, they were, they did follow God for a little while, it seemed like, but boy, the stuff they were doing and the things they were saying. And then they split up and it just the entire family disintegrated. Now, that's not because, well, you shouldn't leave this particular church or anything. It's just that you shouldn't leave the Word of God. It's there to, to guard you. It's there to, to keep you. Remember that Jesus uh, turned to the disciples after the one message, and he said, are you leaving too? And they said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And they realized that there was a stabilizing force to it. And we have to, 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 to stay with that. You know, when I was, uh, had time in, in Tulsa, and there was a lot of churches to choose from in Tulsa. And they weren't all bad. There are some real good ones out there. You had to kind of decide between different ones. But I still saw some people who made decisions to go after ones that were flighty. Because there were churches in Tulsa that were flighty. Not just uh, solidly grounded ones. There were a lot of solidly gro- More so than any other place I'd ever been, there was a lot of places you could go in and get very grounded into the Word of God. But there were also ones that were extremely flighty. One in particular that had a big name associated with it. And I never would stepped in, step foot in there and the whole time I was, I was going uh, to, to Rhema. I heard about it and it just didn't set right in my spirit. And I heard some, later on I heard some things they were doing. Oh man, no wonder I didn't want to go over there. And then as I left and went on, uh, they got even worse. They got, in, and this is one of those churches that would have, um, uh, I believe they had a statue or they had something in there and that would bleed and then they would have people come up and they would touch the blood that would come out of there and uh, supposedly get healed or, or things of this going on. Now that whole thing disintegrated. Not only did the church disintegrate, the uh, ministers disintegrated. I mean, it just went so so bad. <laughs> but they wouldn't listen to anybody. But still they had a lot of people who came into the church, got excited. They filled up the place with uh, hundreds of people. But it just didn't, uh, it just didn't keep... The, the disciples stayed with Jesus as much as Jesus kept an eye on them. 
And when he prayed over them, and he prayed about them, he's, he has this in mind. They could have left, but they didn't. They stayed. And there's a stabilizing power with that. There's a, there were some good things that went on with it. The church that I went to when I was in Tulsa, there's actually two. There was one that I went to for the first year, not only because I could walk there. It was only a mile away, and I could uh, get dressed up and, and, uh, and walk. I didn't have a car, so I had to get to a church that I could walk to, and uh, that's how I came into contact with Brother Willie George. He was the pastor of the church, and uh, solid teaching, solid teaching. My daughter just asked me recently, she said, what's Willie George like as a teacher? I've only seen him as a kids minister. I said, I had him as a pastor before he was a children's minister. And he was outstanding. And I still uh, would, would look for some of the teachings. He's, re- he's retired from pastoring now. Uh, he goes around, I believe he, he teaches in some places, but he's retired and his son took over the church and so he's not in the, the ministry. But every once in a while he comes into the church and he fills in. And when he does that, I get to pull that. I still get the podcast from the church just because uh, if he teaches, I, I like to, to pull that one. I like to pull Brother, Brother George's stuff out. Um, the, the younger ones, uh, some of the churches I was involved with, I think both of them, their sons took over. Uh, Willie George, his son took over, and Bob Yanyan, his son took over. And um, I'm sure that they're doing good things and that there's people that in, in, enjoy them, but um, they just weren't the, the word-oriented people that I'm used to. And so I just uh, I just faded away from listening to that, and I just uh, try and find people that, that dig into that. But Willie George, oh, he was, he was something. So I stayed in there for the first year, and... Uh, Around the time that I got a car is around the time that Brother George uh, retired from pastoring that church. And he just didn't retire from, from ministry. He just left pastoring that particular church. And he went on to start uh, a number of other things, one of which was the children's ministry program that he did, Gospel Bill and, and such things like that. And it was a number of years until he had started uh, uh, Church on the Move. Uh, that, that wouldn't come out for a while. But he was off doing some things in the in the children's ministries. <clears throat> and around then I had a car and there was a, always a church that I wanted to go to. And whenever I could get a ride there, I would always go out to Grace Fellowship and, and sit under Bob Yanyan and he had some guest, guest speakers then that would, that would come in. And I'll tell you, of all the years that I've been in, involved in, in ministry, involved in churches, there is only one church I have ever gone to, I've ever listened to or tied in with, with Pocket. Only one church whose staff, when they filled in for the, for the pastor, was equally as riveting as the pastor himself. And that was rare, because I, I, I've got a couple that I listen to, and when one of the substitutes is in from the staff, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I don't, I don't get much from this one over, over here. I mean, I tried listening to him and, and sat through it, but man, it just wasn't the word content that the, that the main pastor had. But... Um, uh, um, Brother Yanyan, he had a, a couple of people who would come in and, and fill in for him. One of them was a, a, a rainbow teacher for a while. Uh, and he would come in, and somebody else I never knew about until I came over to, to Grace. And he would bring in guest ministers. Uh, Rick Renner, I was introduced to from um, my time over there at Grace Fellowship. He brought Rick Renner in on a regular basis to, um, to, to minister. And uh, just a number of other people. He brought in some very, very sound ones. And I appreciate that. Now, just because, you know, I was in there for, for a lot of years, and even after I graduated from Rhema, I still continued, this is back before podcasts, but I still continued to listen. 
But it was effort. You had to make effort to do it. I had a, a, a call down to the place and find out, you know, when they finished up a new series and ordered the series and came in on, on tape. And you had to listen to it on tape. There was no other option. There was tape or nothing. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> now you got podcasts, CDs, MP4s, videos, all sorts of stuff that you can do. But back then, there was only one way to do it. And uh, you'd have to, I'd have to call down to the place and did Pastor Bob finish up the, the last series? And when he did, they would package it all up and then you could order the whole series and get it. Or else you could just uh, you know order some. But we were going on a yearly basis down to Winter Bible Seminar. And every time we would make it over there to, to Grace Fellowship for the Sunday service, we always made it in for, for one of those. And uh, just for me to touch base and, and then we'd head, all, head out to the bookstore. And we'd walk through the bookstore and, and see, was there something that I missed? Because sometimes they had some guest speakers that would come in or some of the staff would, would fill in for them. And so we, my wife and I, we'd both be hungry for this stuff. And so, yep, this one, this one, this one, this one, this we just pick up all kinds of stuff because they'd have it all out there for you. And then um, on the way back, we would listen to as much as, <laughs> as we could. we just keep popping them in. we got new stuff now to listen to. And, uh, and we enjoyed it. But stayed in, stayed in tune with it. It didn't mean that it was always smooth sailing. It didn't mean that, uh, you know, Pastor Bob and I got along on everything. Or, uh, I always liked everything that the church was doing. And that, and even the church went through some, uh, very hard times. And they, they went through some ordeals that, uh, were extremely difficult. And I knew a little bit about some of them. I didn't pursue a whole lot of, didn't, but didn't, uh, it didn't affect me. I wasn't in a place I could do anything about it. But we still continued to pull those, pull those things and to, and to, and to glean that from them. Now it's so much easier. Now everything's on podcast. You just uh, download it, and as soon as they teach it, well, you got it the next day, or, or you know, before the week was over, you'd have the have the whole thing, and you can go back there and and get hold of it. But this is important. It's important that you get grounded in these things, because I'll tell you, I've, I know some people that were Rama graduates like I was. I know some people that were Rama instructors when I was there, and are no longer teaching the word. They teach about the Word. They still teach about God. But I've listened to a few, a, a number, actually, of their their um, podcasts from their services, and they don't even open the Bible. I just get amazed. How did you sit under Brother Higgin and not open the Bible? Just talk about it. That just um, that that just always shocked me. But that's that's what goes on. That won't stabilize you. And sometimes, you know, some of the, the pastors that I've, I've had, they have to teach something. You say, oh, man, that hurts to hear that. <laughs> but it's good because that helps you. It gets you stabilized. You know, Brother Lot from the Old Testament, when uh, he was around Abraham, it stabilized him. It took him in a good place and he prospered. But once he separated, he thought it would be a good thing. He saw green, green fields and he went out there to prosper. But he didn't prosper, and by the time he came out of the city, he had nothing. Lost everything that he had. you got to be careful about that, because Satan will, will try and get your associations away. You know, there are a number of things that would happen in the, over the course of time to try and get me to, to not listen to some of the people that were mentors for me, some of the people that, that helped shape what I became, how I viewed the Word. There were a number of things that happened in that, and I had to always make sure... Don't do it. Don't fall off from that. Uh, these are just people too. And you just, uh, you just stay with it. And so we, we did and we kept pulling the, the things I needed. 
because that's uh, that, that helps you. You see, Jesus here, he was basically their pastor, not just a mentor, not just a, uh, a, a rabbi to them. He watched over them, and he gave them the word that they needed, and he kept stabilizing them, and as long as Jesus was there, they were growing. They were helping. Now, when he left, he said, don't worry about it. I'm going to send you somebody else. We're going to bring somebody else in. He's going to, he's going to help you out. And that's the helper who came in. But he said, those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Well, see, he wanted, he decided on his own to go. And you can do that. But don't, uh, it, it, it's not without a cause. The enemy is always trying to get us to not go after the stabilizing forces in our life. It, it takes effort. Now, I know that many of you talk about the, the services that you listen to um, outside of here, other, other places that you podcast or that you watch videos of and, and, and you'll see. And it, it takes effort to do it. Even though it's easier now than getting uh, tapes, uh, it's easier. It still takes time. You still have to dedicate yourself to it and, and apply yourself to it. Reading books from, from good authors who write about the Word of God, teach about the Word of God. These things help us. And we have to stay with it. Because I, I've seen it too many times. It does not take long. A year or two is not that long. People get out of the Word and their life is nowhere what it was. Did, does Lot ever get back to a place where he's as prosperous as he was before he left? We never hear anything about it. As far as I can tell, no. We've got to make sure that, that we don't move away from the things that that help us out. So those things that you're doing, they keep you stabilized and keep you grounded and keep you going. Just stay with them. Just keep going with it. He says, uh, verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the, the world just as I am not of the world. This is uh, backed up in other areas of Scripture. The world will hate you because of the word that is in you. That's why I've, I've told you before, if the press doesn't like someone, they have my attention. I don't know if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like them, but if the press puts somebody down, rips them apart, I am now looking at that person as this, is, this could be someone with value. If the press likes anyone, whoever it might be, if they like them, to me that means there's no word in them. Because the press is the world, as they are as worldly as they come. If you want a good barometer, if the press likes them, there's no word in them. I don't care what they say with their mouth. <laughs> there's no word in them. If they hate them, there's probably something good or some word involved with them somewhere. So they'll get my attention and I'll check them out. Let's uh, go on with this. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. We're not of the world. The world is not going to appreciate you. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Now sometimes we don't always pray that way. Uh, if, if you want to make that prayer, God just take me out of the world. Apparently, you can't pray that. 
But we can't pray for other people. Oh, God, just shelter them from this. Because that's not what he's going to do. If Jesus couldn't pray for his disciples, what right do we have to pray for anyone else? It's an unscriptural prayer. And we should know better. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So the evil one is going to try and, and, and get you here in the world. That, now look at this. Look at how he prays for them. That you should keep them from the evil one. Don't forget that terminology. Don't forget that wording because we're going to come back to that here in a little while. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Not from evil. From the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. There's no other way. You have to pursue the truth. When you receive the truth, the truth will will sanctify you. The truth will have an effect on you. But once you start getting away from the truth of the Word and other stuff starts working its way in, it does not have the same purifying, sanctifying effect. But we think it does. Or we can be sold on the fact that it does. And it would take a little while before we realize it's not it's not as good as it was. I'm not having... My life isn't the same. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The, the word is the most important thing we get. If you're going to pray for anything, Father God, I need more word. I need more understanding, more truth. Get me, get me in touch with more people that can preach your word. Because the more word you get preached to you, the more word you get taught, the more you hear from the Holy Spirit, the more you read, the more you understand, the better your life is going to be. <clears throat> he says, your word is truth. When you look at these churches and there is no word in the service, that means there is no truth. Then there is nothing to help sanctify the people. There's nothing to help make their life any better. I want to take some time here and, and take a look at another. Well, let's go, let's go on. Let's look at verse 19. We'll take a look at this. This is, he's playing for the future. Verse 19. And for the sakes, <clears throat> and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Apparently, it is okay to pray for things that have not happened yet. To pray into the future. Because Jesus is praying. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, do you believe in Jesus because of the word of the disciples? You sure do. Call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> we have... The words of the disciples. The book of Acts, we have more words of the disciples. Even in some of the epistles, we have words from the disciples. That those those words from those people have affected us. So, did Jesus pray for you? 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for you. Now, if Jesus could pray for you 2,000 years ago, you can pray for others too. That means, if your son or daughter is having a baby... You can pray for that baby. 
Well, they're not even born yet. Don't matter. <laughs> you can pray for them. <laughs> you can be praying for the for things in the future. You have that. You have that ability. You don't, you don't just have to pray for today. You can pray in the future. I I've done that for both of our grandkids. Uh, it's, it's, whenever we're up here on Sunday and I'm holding them in the worship service, or when I'm holding them in other places and carrying them around, I just it's just a habit out of me. I just start praying over them and start uh, declaring some things over them about their future. We see we can do that because Jesus gave us that as a as an example, and I just pray some things in in that particular direction. I I do that as a habit when I'm holding them, but you can also do it when you're not around them, because Jesus wasn't holding anybody in the future. He prayed for them. He says, I don't pray for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be one in us. Again, that unity factor. That the world may believe that you sent me. It's important, folks, that we we stay together. That's why if we're taught in the word of God. Believe the best in others. The devil wants you to believe the worst in others. Because if he can tear us apart... The testimony to the world is weakened. And the, <clears throat> and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, and they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. And the love which you, and the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And I gave you that blank there. The oneness of the church is a testimony to the world. Don't let the the enemy stir that up. But let's go over to Luke chapter 22. Just a couple of verses here. Real important for us though. To understand how Jesus prayed for the disciples. In verse 31 of Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now it says here that Satan has asked for you. And let's read over this, this whole part again. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And in the English rendering of this verse, it is very difficult for us to understand it. Most of that is because of a limitation that the English, English has over the Greek. But let me, I put this in the, in the blanks here for you. Satan has asked for you. That you there is plural, referring to all the disciples. It's not singular. You see, in the Greek, the personal pronouns, you, um, they, he, all those, all those kind of things, there are singular ones and plural ones. And it's how the word is spelled. We don't have that in English unless you come from Philly. If you come from Philly, it's you and yous. <laughs> yous is plural. 
So we just fixed that in Philadelphia, but other places in the country, they don't have that advantage <laughs> of, of having fixed it. But in the Greek, they did it, they did it that way, just like Philly does. You know, you and yous. So, we'll just use Philly talk here. Satan has asked for yous. If you can understand a little bit better that way. Satan has asked for yous. Satan has asked for yous that he might sift yous as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Singular. Now catch that. Satan has asked for all of you. That he may sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith should not fail. And when you, singular, have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So he's, he's saying that the devil has asked for all of them. Now that word there to ask is to ask or beg for oneself or to ask that one be given up to one for the power from the power of another. Now the common thought is that Satan went to God and asked for permission to sift them as wheat. But there's nowhere in this verse that it is stated who is asked. Who does the verse say is asked? No one. It doesn't say anyone's asked. Now, if you were a general and understand there's a battle going on, there's God's side and there's Satan's side, and there's a battle that's going on. Let's just make this into the uh, an area where we can understand it. If we have a general, let's say that, let's go back to the Revolutionary War, and let's say that General Washington is uh, up there, and he sees uh, one of the uh, the British generals down on the, the field, and he wants a certain area that the British have. Does he go and ask the British if he might have it? That's not going to work, is it? Who would General Washington ask if he wants a particular fort or a particular uh, thing that the enemy has, if he wants it? Who would he ask? He'd have to ask people that are that are under him. He'd have to ask people that are on his side. So he would get he's the general, General Washington. He'd have to get his lieutenants and his captains and he'd say, I want that piece of of property, I want that fort, I want that city, whatever it might be. Go get it. When it says that Satan has asked, why is it that we assume that he's asked God? And if he asked God for permission, then why is Jesus bothering to pray for him? I mean, if God gave permission for Satan to uh, to sift them, then why does Jesus pray to God to patch him back up again? Can you imagine that? Here comes Satan. God, can I have the disciples? I want to sift them as wheat. Well, okay, go ahead. And then Jesus comes back in. God, put them back together again. Well, okay. I mean, is that ever a mixed up thing? Why in the world do we believe that? Nowhere does it say that, that Satan asked God. It would make a whole lot more, more sense if Satan called 
over all his cohorts. And he asked them, he said, I want those guys. Go get them for me. And Jesus became aware of it. God says to Jesus, Satan has asked specifically for these guys. He sees the importance that they're going to have in the future. And he's asked for them. And so then Jesus prayed to the Father for them. Now doesn't that make a whole lot more sense? But because we've interpreted that way, it's influenced our prayers. Well, I guess God gave permission for Satan to do this to me. That's what we think because that's what's, what has gone on. He says to sift you, again plural, you is plural, to sift you as wheat. Now the word here for for sift means to, to like shake in a sieve. Thayer puts it this way, by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. An inward ag- agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overflow. Weiss translates this verse this way. In order that he may shake you in a sieve as grain is, is sifted by an inward agitation, trying your faith to the verge of overflow. He almost took it right, right out of Thayer's uh, definition there. Now, if we go over it, and we've been covering this on Sunday morning, so we don't really have to go over it all that much. But if we went over to the parable of the sower, and we see that the enemy comes to steal the seed that has been sown. Nowhere is any permission asked of the one who sowed the seed. Nowhere is any permission asked of God the Father. The birds come to steal it. The people trample the seed that's that's on the road. We have the thorns and thistles that, that grow up and choke the word. We have all these things that, uh, that that come on that hinder the seed. But nowhere is there any permission granted from God. The attraction is the seed that was sown into the soil. And that's the parable that Jesus gave about the attack way back in the beginning. So that's something that we're going to have to assume is going on here. So no permission is asked for. We understand the tactics, though, from the, from the sower. Now, do the disciples qualify as a, as a soil type? According to what Jesus is praying for them, he's, he's talking to them like they're good soil. But the enemy is going to try and come in here and pull this stuff out. And for, for a little bit of time, they did. He desired to sift them. And for, for a bit, they, they dropped it. Peter even denied them. But they came back. Jesus prayed for them. Now, um, but I have prayed for you. The you here is singular. But I have prayed for you. He's speaking to Peter directly. Now look at what Jesus prays for. First off, that his faith would not fail. He's going to be put through some internal turmoil. And he, we know that he was. He initially thought, I'm ready to die for you. But then when faced with that opportunity, that turmoil came up that he was, he was ready to deny Jesus. I don't know him. I never met the man. 
began to cuss even. He prayed that his faith would not fail and that when he returned to strengthen his brethren. Now look at the things that he does not pray for. Jesus does not pray for him to return. Did you notice that? Jesus does not pray for Peter to return. He says that when you have returned, I have prayed for you that when you have returned, that you'll strengthen your brethren. So the returning was a decision on his part. You see, you can't pray away the responsibility that's on the people. If you could, Jesus would have. But you can't do it. The responsibility is on Peter to make the decision to come back. But Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail. Apparently that's something that you can pray for. And then when it didn't fail, he brought his, his way on back. So he does not pray for him to return. Now understand this. He also does not pray for the test to be lessened or removed. How many times have we prayed things like that? We see somebody going through a test and a trial. Oh God, just make that trial go away. Oh, just take them out of the midst of that. If Jesus did not pray it, he sowed three and a half years into these people and he was counted on them to go out and to preach the message, to testify of him. He's counting on it. Three and a half years he put into these people. And he does not pray for their tests to be lessened or removed. If Jesus doesn't do it in that situation, we don't have the right to do it either. And if people come to you and say, oh, just pray that my test, that this test I'm going through just would be, be, be lessened. No. <laughs> That's not what we're supposed to be here praying for. Let's read this verse, these verses again. They went away from me. Hang on a minute. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now they would not even have become aware of this had it not been for Peter making a stand, I'm ready to die. And because of that, Jesus came out and told him this. You don't have to make people aware of what it is you're praying for them for it to be effective. Jesus did make them aware here and we can learn some things from it. What to pray for and what not to pray for. But you don't have to. He goes on and says in verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, in praying for other believers, you're praying for people that are in Christ. You've got to first off know their condition, spiritual and physical. You've got to know their condition. It's, it's, it's real important. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. You've got to know their condition. Spiritually, are they born again? If they're born again, are they in a word-oriented church? If they're not in a word-oriented church, that, that changes things. If they're not getting the word on a regular basis, their, their faith is not built up to a place where it can handle much. You don't have to find out anything about it. If they're not getting on a regular basis things from the word of God, their faith will not be strong. 
Well, I've heard all that stuff. Before. Don't matter what you heard before. What did you hear this week? You got to stay with it. If you don't eat this week, in fact, for some of you, if you don't eat today, you feel pretty weak. <laughs> You're not ready to go on. Because I need to, I need to eat something. It's, in, it's important. You got to know their condition, both spiritually and physically. How many have ever been asked to pray for somebody who's unconscious? Yeah, we've, we've, we've had that going on. If you were asked, this is the first thing I, I ask people when they're unconscious. What were they saying before they went unconscious? It's important for you to know it. <clears throat> because sometimes they may be declaring things, well, I'm just going to die. You can't counteract that. When they go unconscious, you can't counteract that. You can get the, the gift of the working of miracles, something like that coming in. But just on your normal faith, you can't you can't counteract that. They've already uh, declared these things, moved these things in this in this way. If uh, if they were making things before they went in unconscious, I know I will be healed. They're com- they're confessing the word of God. They're uh, going over what the word of God has promised them. Is that, well now you've got something to work on, Father God. These are the words that they said. I stand with those words. I thank you that that they made these words. You can you can jump in with that. But I can't, once I go unconscious, I can't just take their life in another direction that they didn't take it. The Word of God says in James that your mouth sets your direction for the ship. And when you set that direction, you go unconscious. Just know you set your direction. Now, thank God, they probably also set the direction to be in heaven. (laughs) Just because they didn't set the direction to be healed doesn't mean they're not... We're going to set the direction to be in heaven. But you got to know their condition, both spiritually and physically. What are they, what are they doing? Know their faith. Know what they're believing for. Because if they're believing for one thing, you cannot go along believing for something else. If they're believing for a successful operation, you can't believe for an instant healing. You got to go along with what they are. So you got to find out what are you believing for. It makes no difference what you can believe for. It makes a difference what they can believe for. And don't make them come up to your faith. You sometimes will have to go down to theirs. They may not be on your level. You can't bring them up to your level of faith instantly. Find out where they are. Well, what can you believe? Well, I can believe I can go through the operation and that it be successful. All right. And you go with that can't bring them up to your faith in a matter of minutes, hours, or days. So, know their faith. Know what they're believing for. Uh, know their fight. How are they fighting this thing? They may be declaring their faith here, but then when other people get in the room, they may be despair and down. And you got to know how, how are they fighting this thing? Because that's important. And here's the last one. Pray the word, not your emotions. It does no good to pray your emotions. Oh, but God, I love them so much. Oh, and I know you love them. Oh, just please. You cannot pray your emotions. You got to pray the word. You stay with it. You'll, you'll have success praying for other people. So in praying for other believers, know their condition, know their faith, know their fight. And pray the word, not your emotions. 
Look at how Jesus prayed for people. Follow his example. He gave us an example. He put it in the Word of God so that we would have it to follow. Don't pray for things that he couldn't pray for. If he didn't pray for it, there's a reason for it. If he prayed for it, well, there's your key. I can get it. I can do this because Jesus prayed for it. And you'll have opportunity to pray for, for other believers. Don't be tempted to pray for unsaved people the way you pray for the believers. You can't do it. They are of the world. You can't pray for people that are of the world the way you pray, pray for people that are of Jesus. You can't do it. They're not, they don't have access to the same things that people that are of, of God do, will have. But when you pray according to the Word of God, you will have success in helping other people, just as Jesus had success. It may have not looked too good in the beginning when they all, all flew the coop, but they all came back. Even as Jesus said, they're all coming back except for that one. And, uh, and to Peter specifically, he said, when you come back, strengthen your brethren. That's what you need to do. And he did come back. And he did strengthen his brethren. Father, I thank you that we can pray for other people. The enemy likes to try and get us outside of the scope of the word to pray things that we don't have the right to pray. But when we stay within what your word tells us to do, what your word shows us we can do, we can have great success. There are going to be people in our future who are going to ask us to pray for things that we know from the word we can't. And I pray right now, Father, that you give us the boldness to declare to these people what we can do and what we cannot do. And what the hindrance is to what we cannot do. That they may have a motivation to remove those hindrances. I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in, this, in these prayers that we, we know are coming up. People that are going to come to us and ask us to join with them in prayer. And I thank you, Father, for the instruction you gave us in your word. Through Paul, through Jesus, through other places in the word of God. And we can confidently pray for other people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.